Pastor Xavier Reese talks about the ingredients for an active, vibrant faith. The hunger and thirst for God will be filled. Psalm 42, 1 says, As the heart or the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God. Do, do you hunger for the things of God? When it comes to belief in the Lord's return, there are two kinds of Christians, gazers and goers. Which will you be? Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Decades after the death and resurrection of Christ, His message to the church was revealed. And today, some 2,000 years later, we anxiously await the second coming. Well, as Pastor Xavier brings his series from the book of Revelation to a close, we get a hint at what's in store for those who will be living during the Millennial Kingdom. Let's join him for today's important study, The Beatitudes of Revelation, Part 2. When God intends to fill a soul, He first makes it empty. When He intends to enrich a soul, He first makes it poor. When He intends to exalt a soul, He first makes it sensible to its own miseries, wants, and nothingness. John Flavin said this, a godly man. How true this is, in effect, this is exactly what both the Beatitudes teach in the Sermon on the Mount and the ones in the book of Revelation, a total dependency upon Jesus Christ. Jesus cannot fill vessels that are full of themselves. They first must be emptied. And I think that's a big problem in the church today. People are so full of some of the world and some of the church. And they bring worldview into the Christian church. And they're almost like Ephraim, a pancake half done. We have to make sure that we're empty so that Christ can constantly fill us. Then we will be blessed, regardless of the situation, circumstance, true happiness as we've seen. As we've stated in our last study, the Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount mark characteristics of a Christian. One who is dependent on Christ. These are interrelated and interdependent one upon another. You can't disconnect them. They are called Beatitudes, not do-attitudes. It is the life of Christ through the person by the work of the Holy Spirit, living the life of Christ. As we stated last time, the Beatitudes are synthetic parallels of Hebrew poetry. The first line is stated, the second one completes it. And so there are four passive Beatitudes. They're on the Sermon on the Mount, the first four. Then you have three that are active. Then you have the two consequential so you have four, three, seven, and the two. Some look at them as eight. Some divide the other one into nine. Either way. But we see what happens if you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ. These things will be in you, and the result of it will be persecution. No acceptance by the world. That's absolute. 
So we have studied the first three Beatitudes in the book of Revelation. And again, we've noted that these seven first Beatitudes of the Sermon on the Mount line up perfectly with the seven that we find here in the book of Revelation. By way of review, let me give you the three that we studied last time for those of you that were not present. The first Beatitude was found in chapter 1, verse 3, and declared happiness as a benefit of this book. Just the fact that you read this book, you have great happiness by what's in the book. That's how the book opens up. The second beatitude was found in Revelation 14, 13, and it declares happiness for the dead tribulation saints resting in the work of Christ. Just as you and I are resting, they will be resting. The third one was found in chapter 16, verse 15, declaring happiness to those watching and being ready for the second coming. And the context, of course, is those in the tribulation, not us. We're, we've been taken out in the rapture. That's why we're studying each of these in the context that they're written in. So what we want to do now is finish our final message of the book of Revelation. We've been here for a long time. By looking at the last four Beatitudes. But having the whole book under our belt now, we can understand these Beatitudes so much better. As we've gone through the whole book. These are the last four. The fourth is found in chapter 19, verse 9. It declares the blessing to those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Chapter 20, verse 6, is the fifth beatitude. It declares blessing to those being part of the first resurrection. And then the sixth beatitude in chapter 22, verse 7, declares the blessing to those obedient to the revelation. And then the seventh and last, 22.14 declares a blessing to those in fellowship with God for eternity. Let's begin here with the first for this study and the fourth in the list. Chapter 19, verse 9. The fourth beatitude declares the blessing to those called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen to him. Then he said to me, Right blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Notice the context, because this is what we have to study every one of them in. Chapter 19 focuses on the marriage supper of the Lamb and the return of Jesus Christ to the earth. Heaven rejoices, verse 1 through 5, over the judgment of Babylon with the vision of the throne and the praise saying, Hallelujah. This is the end of the tribulation. God has avenged on her the blood of his servants that she has shed. The seventh angel sounded with a loud voice in heaven, way back in chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. This is the third woe. It's complete, the end of the tribulation. Now notice verse 6, the prelude to the merit of the Lamb. John heard the voice, a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. In other words, there's no one stronger than him, no one mightier than him, no one can stop him. As he said he will reign, he has come to reign. This is the answer to the prayer. Thy kingdom come. It's here. Look at verse 7 and 8. The proclamation of the marriage of the Lamb. The focus is the Lamb and his bride. Don't miss that. Let us be glad and rejoice and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Two things are said about the bride. 
in verse 7 and 8. Don't miss them. Here's the first. His wife has made herself ready. Secondly, in verse 8 there, to his wife was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. The word clean, katharos, pure and bright, meaning radiant, glorious. In the word katharos, we get our word catharsis from it. You, you get it in psychological therapy, you know, where you let off the steam and you let out verbally what you want to say. You're beat up a dummy and it's supposed to purge you. But the problem is the steam builds back up, okay? You've got to be forgiven of your sin and knowing that you're guilty. Then you know how to forgive and then you don't have to worry about letting out the steam once in a while. It's a big difference. She stands in contrast to the prostitute of Babylon in chapter 17. Now, notice the commentary is given to us at the end of verse 8. So as not to mistake in who she is. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. She's a church. Okay? So the one returning with Jesus is the bride. Very important. So now look at the fifth beatitude here in verse 9. It comes at this time just before the Lord's return from heaven to the earth, and it's ascribed to those waiting for him. The proclamation is one of privilege. The voice that John heard, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, the word blessed means, oh, how happy you're happy. The individuals are those tribulation saints called to the marriage supper. The marriage is in heaven. We've been raptured. We've gone to the marriage. And now it appears that the supper is on earth. People argue back and forth, but if we've been raptured and gone to the marriage, we're coming back and there's an invitation to the supper. No, duh, it's on earth, okay? You can't miss it. Make sure you distinguish between those invited to the wedding and the bride who is the wedding, okay? Otherwise, you put the church in the tribulation. Those called to the supper are distinct from the bride. They are those who enter the kingdom. They come out of the tribulation. Remember, Jesus gave a parable of, of a marriage to those who refused to come, and um, they weren't ready in Matthew 22. And uh, the focus of that inappropriateness was the man who came in without the garment, remember? And he was cast out. The only way you can get, come into the, the wedding is having the right garment. Those in the tribulation who have trusted Christ, they come in. Now, Matthew 25 speaks of the foolish virgins, five, and the wise virgins. Often that's used for the church to rapture. It isn't. The end of 24, we the church have come back with Jesus. Who are the ones going in to celebrate? These that are invited to the wedding. You get an invitation to a wedding. You're not the bride. You go celebrate with the bride. There's a difference. Now, the blessing is that these individuals, notice, will celebrate with Christ and his bride the setting up of the kingdom instead of being eternally separated from God. Remember, Jesus promised the disciples he would not partake of the communion until he would partake once again in his Father's kingdom for the disciples. You find that in Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. Again, there's a distinction, notice, between the wife Israel and the bride, the church. The Old Testament bride has been put away for unfaithfulness. She will be restored again, reconciled. And the New Testament bride is a chaste virgin, according to Paul and many other imageries that are used in the scriptures in the New Testament. So you must make a distinction once again between the wife and a bride. 
Now, notice at the end of verse 9, the personal authority is ascribed to God. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And the word true, alithios, means that which has the name and resemblance, but real in nature, corresponding to that. In other words, genuine and real regarding what? All that's going to take place. Because sometimes you can reason, man, is that really real? Is that really going to happen? Yes. Jesus told Nicodemus, if I tell you about heaven, earthly things, you can't believe them. How can I tell you about heavenly things? <laughs> this is repeated, by the way, in 21.5 and 22.6. Now, the fourth beatitude of Revelation, happy are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, line up with the fourth beatitude of the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to it. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Both speak of longing for and rejoicing in God alone. Where's your longing? Where's your desire? Is it constantly in the things of the world? Then it shows you where your heart's at. If it's in the things of God, then it shows you where your heart's at also. The word blessed again, makarios. Oh, how happy you're happy. But it's the true happiness, not like that of the world, emotions and situations and what I have and what I don't have. Notice the result of true happiness is that one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. What a contrast it is. And those of us who are Christians know how we used to pursue happiness and how our happiness was so temporal and so conditional. And now we can really enjoy life. We still have difficulties. We still have problems. There's still stuff that goes on, but what a difference. We, we know what true happiness is. It isn't in the car we have or the house we buy or, 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 or the amount of money we have, but it's in who is in us. And that he's forgiven us for all our sins. The condition is specific. The word righteousness, in the broad sense, it means the state by which we ought to be in. In the narrow sense of our context here is that which pleases and glorifies God. In fact, G. Campbell Morgan defines it this way. Listen, divine discontentment with everything unlike God. That's good. Divine discontentment with everything unlike God. Do you get righteously angry at what goes on in the world today without sinning? <laughs> then that's good evidence that you belong to God. Or do you say, oh, come on, let's not be extreme. You know what I mean? We're supposed to accept one another. No, no, no. We must make a difference. Listen to 22, 17. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take of the waters of life freely. Listen, listen. Going to heaven or hell is a choice. You don't get there automatically. And God doesn't predetermine you without ever allowing you to choose. As I've told you often, nobody's going to be mad in heaven for all eternity saying, man, I wanted to go to hell and God forced me to come to heaven. But you will find a lot of people if you get to hell saying, you know, I could have gone to heaven and I chose to go to hell. The benefit for such a person is stated, listen, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. And the word filled is used for the multitudes that Jesus fed, and they were filled and satisfied, Mark 6, 42. 
One person put it this way. When it comes to belief in the Lord's return, there are two kinds of Christians. Listen closely. Gazers and goers. Which will you be? Those who hunger and thirst for God will be filled. And it's a healthy sign. Psalm 42, 1 says, As the heart or the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you, O God. Do you, do you hunger for the things of God? To read the word, to study it? To know his will? Are you hungry as a Christian for the things of God? Do you thirst for them? Or do you, ah, I can take them or leave them, whatever. Without eating, you can't grow and develop as you should. Without thirsting, you won't be purified. Do you realize that out of all the drinks that we have, I mean, you know, everything man makes, water is the only thing that really cleanses your body, your organs, everything. Water. Do you thirst for God? It's the only way you can be purified. Our hunger for the word feeds us. Our thirst for God brings happiness, contentment, and peace. Listen to Paul, 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. It says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, that word there is hygiene, wholesome, healthy, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments of words from which come envy, strife, reveling, and evil suspicions. Useless wranglings of men, corrupt minds, that's through the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Listen, from such, withdraw yourself. You must make a distinction. I don't hate the person in the world, and I want to reach them, but I'm not one with them. Job is a classic example of thirsting and hungering after righteousness, as he, in chapter 23, verse 12, says, I esteem God's word more than my daily substance, more than my food. Hmm. And so likewise, those who in the tribulation, hunger and thirst after God's return, will be happy to be called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The supper of the Lamb, entering the kingdom, being filled and satisfied. So the fourth beatitude declares happiness to those tribulation saints called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now notice the fifth in chapter 20, verse 6. The fifth beatitude declares blessing to those being part of the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him for a thousand years. Now the context again is important here in chapter 20. It is the binding of Satan and the tribulation saints reign. In chapter 20 here, verse 1, uh, the heavenly angel binds Satan, as you know, at the beginning of the millennial kingdom, as we've seen. Uh, he comes down. Could be Michael. We don't know. He has the keys representing authority. He incarcerates Satan in the Abuso, the place, a shaft in the earth somewhere where demons are incarcerated. Chapter 9 has told us that. Chapter 11, chapter 17, different places. Now, the time is specific for a thousand years. Verse 1 through 7, six times. Thousand. Don't let anybody say there's no thousand-year reign. Don't let them spiritualize it. They're called amillennialists. They say there's no millennial. Every one of the church fathers held to the teaching of an earthly historical reign of peace that was to follow the defeat of the Antichrist, the physical resurrection of the saints, the judgment of the unbeliever, and the eternal state until Augustine, who took it figuratively as a church 
age. And so Augustine, one of the fathers of the Catholic Church, said the Catholic Church was the reign of Christ on earth, and the church would reign for a thousand years, and then Christ would come back. Well, after a thousand years, they had to change their theology. Interesting. Notice the time is to remove the evil influence until he's released again in verse 3, as you know that. At the end of the thousand years, only for a short time you'll be released. In verse 4 and 5, the tribulation saints have their part in the millennial. That's what he tells us. John saw in the same vision there, the judgment of the tribulation saints. And of course, it's by the church. We're going to reign. We're going to judge. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3 and other passages. The connection is clear. They live and reign with Christ for what? Again, a thousand years. They have been beheaded for their witness of Christ and the word of God. They refuse to worship the beast, take his mark. And so they're beheaded they're under the fifth seal in chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. These are tribulation saints. Now look at verse 5 and 6. The fifth beatitude comes at this particular time and is ascribed to all who have believed in Christ in the tribulation. Verse 5, the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished, identifying the first resurrection. The first resurrection includes all who have trusted in Christ to be redeemed. Old Testament, New Testament, and tribulation saints. That's the first resurrection. Daniel 12, 1 and 2 is very clear. We are raptured. We're with Christ seven years. We come back with him. Then the Old Testament saints are raised. The tribulation saints are raised. And we enter the kingdom. It is one continuous event of the resurrection. If you die right now when you leave here, boom, you're instantly present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7. Someone dies next week, boom, they're instantly present. It's an ongoing Instantly present with the Lord. The lost are not raised till after the thousand years. Remember that. Now notice the blessedness or happiness is due to being excluded from what? Listen, the second death. That's the happy. You're happy. The second death has no power over them, which is eternal separation from God. And that's the best definition. It's a biblical definition of death. Separation from God. It is defined for us in verse 14. Look at verse 14. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. Gehenna and the lake of fire are synonymous of the same place. The abode of the wicked for all eternity that was created for Satan and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. And yet, though it was created for Satan and his angels alone, trillions and billions of people will be there because they have rejected Jesus Christ. The confirmation of their separation is stated in verse 15. Look at and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Now, how many times does God have to say that? Listen, if you're not in Christ, you will spend eternity separated from God, and there is punishment. The book of life is the register of the saved, those who have trusted in Christ. The second death is a result of the second resurrection of the wicked that are judged at the white throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom. So we're raised in the first resurrection, then a thousand years later, all who have rejected Christ are judged and cast in. There's no second chance for salvation there. It's just for sentencing. Someone gets found guilty in, in, in court, then they're brought up for sentencing later. They don't get a new trial. It's just for sentencing, that's all. They've already been found guilty. Notice verse 6. They will be priests of God and of Christ because they have refused to reserve the Antichrist or take his mark. 
because they have trusted in Christ faithfully. We, the church, are made kings and priests, we've already been told in chapter 5, verse 10. We're in heaven in chapter 4 and 5. This is talking about the tribulation saints. They shall reign with him a thousand years, literally a thousand years, the kingdom age, the renewed earth, there'll still be sin, there'll still be death in a thousand years, but they'll reign with him. Pastor Xavier Reese reminds us of the conquest that await those who remain faithful. And you can request a copy of today's important study from the book of Revelation titled The Beatitudes of Revelation Part 2. As always, you can pick up a copy for just $4 on CD. And don't forget to share these encouraging words with someone in your church or Bible study. The title to ask for once again is The Beatitudes of Revelation Part 2. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, don't forget to include the call letters of this station when you contact us. How important is the Word of God, especially as the last days draw near? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese as he brings us more simple truths from the Bible. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com